All right. Um, when we initially did our presentation uh, back, at, what was what was that like the fifteenth or sixteenth, something like that? Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Whenever that was. Um, I think I think the, I think it was like one hundred twelve thousand that we still needed raised. Um, as of today, what we're looking at is um, for the art campaign. We are looking at we need to raise ninety six thousand six hundred and seventy six dollars. Can you give it up for all of the people that are sacrificing and giving to our Waterville campaign? Our our numbers for the actual dollar amount, Pastor Joy said it, we are already at $79,002. Who gave that two? Who gave that two? It does. It does. All right. Um, okay, I, I'm just going to go ahead and do this. I, I hate asking for money, and I hate doing that stuff. Uh, but when I look at it as, as this, it's not, it's not challenging people for money uh, for myself or for Vision Church. It's for the kingdom. And, and I want to submit this to you. Um, my wife and I... Are, we, we are givers, we give financially, we tithe, we give above our tithe, we give to missions. We don't ask anybody to do anything that we don't do ourselves. Um, and one of the things that, that the Lord has placed on my wife and I's heart is to, to step outside of the boat <laughs> uh, financially. And so when we heard that Margaret was going to pledge $2,000 and then somebody else said they were going to match that. They're like, I'm going to pledge $2,000. I'm going to let you know that Joy and I committed to say the same. We're like, we want to match that pledge for $2,000. So my submission to you is, would you consider matching Joy and I's pledge? That's just the consideration. Consider that. Um, if not, whatever you can give. But we're stepping outside of the boat in that context. We have people that are giving sacrifice sacrificially. I'm like, if Margaret can do it... <laughs> We can do it. So consider, consider matching that. That's that boom, bang, bing. Okay, back into the Ark Encounter. So we are talking about the Ark. And so when, when we say Ark, how many of you guys know that our church loves to have, say them, we love to have acronyms. It was like somebody was saying acronyms, acrostics. We like to use words that mean other words. That's what we like. So if you want to call it an acronym, if you want to call it acrostic, if you want to call it the acrobat, if you want to call it Aquaman, I don't know. Okay? Ark, A-R-K. And we know what that means when we say Ark, obviously. Um, Ark is an acronym or an acrostic or a crossword puzzle. It means, <laughs> go to the next slide. It means A is for agape love. R is for rhema word. And K is for koinonia fellowship. Let me say that again. A-R-K. A is for agape love. R is for rhema word. And K is for koinonia fellowship. So if we're to break this down, A, agape love. A, agape is basically, it means love. It's almost like we're saying love, love. A agape. So agape love, if you if you would look, that actually is a Greek word, 
Because they use, in the Greek, they have multiple uses of the word love. We have the word love and we use it for everything. They actually have words that mean what they mean. So they have, you know, they have uh, eros, which is a romantic love. They have filio, which is a brotherly love. And then they have agape, which means, if you were to look that up, it means a selfless, selfless, a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. Right? It persists no matter what. So when you when you see, when you're reading the scriptures and it says, God so loved the world that he gave, it's God agape the world. Right? No greater love than this than a man lays down his life for his friends. Right? No greater, no agape that a man lays down. While we were, you know, Christ. Christ showed his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? It's Christ's agape. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's selfless. And the Lord has called us not only to receive that type of love from him, but also to learn how to give that type of love to others. Agape. We want to, have, we want to be a church that walks in and shares agape love. Number two, Rhema word. Rhema actually means utterance, means to speak. It's a Greek word. And when we're talking about a rhema word, what we're talking about is we're talking about God communicating personally to us through the Spirit. That's what it is. So you have the logos, which is the written Bible that's sitting on your laps or you pulled up on in your, your tablet or your phone right now. That is the logos. It's the written, written word, right? Right now, what you're hearing me speak is utterance. So we not only want agape word, agape love, we also want the utterance. We want God to communicate us personally through his spirit. Can I get an amen? amen. And then finally, K, koinonia fellowship. That's such a fun word, isn't it? Koinonia is just such a fun word. Koinonia fellowship, it means to draw together by intimate participation. It's not just like a little book club. <laughs> it's drawing together by intimate participation, often described as a state of fellowship, prayer, and service. Actually, at this very moment, what we are doing is koinonia. Because we're having an intimate connection and fellowship. It's actually church service. Where we're communing, we're communing with God and we're connecting with one another. It's more than just, hey, how you doing? It's, it's, there's this depth of it. Say koinonia. koinonia. A-R-K, agape love, rhema word, koinonia fellowship. All right. So, ark, right? So number one, friends, the ark is a type of Christ. A-R-K. We're talking about the ark in the Old Testament, in Genesis, when God told Noah to build an ark, that ark is a type of Christ. Friends, in Genesis, the ark was a tool. It was a vehicle. It was a thing that was used to bring salvation. Jesus is the ark. Look at your neighbor say, Jesus is the ark. Look to your other neighbor say, Jesus is the ark. Look behind you, say, Jesus is the ark. Look under you, say, Jesus is the ark. Look up to the sky, say, Jesus is the ark. Jesus is the ark, right? Jesus is the tool, the vehicle, the thing, the person that God used for salvation. 
Jesus is the ark. Friends, get on board with Jesus today. All aboard, come on, get on. Let's go. He's calling us off on a ride with him throughout this life. I'm telling you, 25 years ago, when he said all aboard, I jumped on that boat and I haven't gotten off since. How many of us can say, I jumped on that boat 40 years ago? I jumped on that boat 10 years ago. I jumped on that that boat six months ago. You got on the ship. Come on. on. You realized that Jesus was the only way, and and you gave yourself to him. It's beautiful. He said, I am the door. He said, I am the gate. He said, I am the way. Salvation is found in no one else. We, we used to say this all the time. If there were multiple ways to heaven, then why did Christ die such a, such a gruesome, horrifying, horrific death? If every road uh, made it to heaven, then Jesus died for nothing. Right? I mean, just uh, clearly God uses physical things in the physical to that, that represents, you know, that kind of gives explanation to the spirit, that would be like saying every road on this planet leads to Toledo. No, it doesn't. It leads away from Toledo. We're, we're like, the only reason people come to Toledo is to go to Cedar Point. They drive through. The only reason people come to Toledo is to go to Detroit or to go to Chicago or to go to Cleveland, right? We're a drive through city. I love our, I love our mid-sized drive through city. I'm not complaining about it one bit because we don't have to wait two and three hours in traffic. Praise God. You can pretty much get around our city in about, you know, anywhere in our city in 30 minutes, 45 minutes, if there is traffic. But this is the thing, friends. Okay, salvation is found in no one else. It's interesting that a boat is designed to keep us above water. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting that a boat is designed to keep us above water, and yet Jesus walked on the water. And then Jesus pulled Peter out of the water. Not only did Jesus walk on water, not only did Jesus pull Peter out of the water, Jesus conquered the water. He conquered death, he conquered judgment, he conquered the grave, and he conquered water. Anything that you put under your feet, you conquer. And Jesus showed he conquered the water. Why? What did the water represent? The water represented judgment. And Jesus put it under his foot. Because he is the boat. He is the ark. He didn't sink. He not only, he didn't just float. How many of you guys know how to float? Right? Have you ever taken swimming lessons? And if you're out there and there's nothing left, they teach you how to just rest in the water and you just try to keep your above uh, ahead. Some people, it's very natural. Some people, we sink. (laughs) I'm one of those, like, it's just never, I can swim, but man, trying to, I have to move my body. For some reason, I don't like to stay above water. But Jesus didn't just float. He walked on the water. He conquered it. So friends, number one, the ark is a type of Christ. And so this is the thing. Go to the next slide real quick before we go to the next point. Not only is he a type of Christ, he is the ark, right? A-R-K, right? Christ is agape love. God isn't love. He is love. Christ is the rhema word. He is the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Right? Christ is Koinonia Fellowship. He's the reason why we gather together. He's the reason why, right? Christ is all of these things. He's not only the ark. 
<laughs> he is every single one of these acronyms or, or cross sticks or crossword puzzles. He is every single one of these things. Can I get an amen? amen? Friends, not only number one is the archetype of Christ, number two, Noah is a type of Christ. Noah is a type of Christ. Check this out. This is what's so cool. You guys ready? Ready for a little Bible lesson? This is so fun. I love it. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 29, in the Amplified, when Noah was born, this is what they named him. They named him Noah. His name, okay, verse 29, he named him Noah, saying, this one shall bring us, say this word with me, rest. Okay, I'll give you a chance to say it again. He named him Noah, saying, this one shall bring us rest and comfort from our work and from the dreadful toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord cursed. His name means rest. That's very interesting. Because in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus, when he's speaking and he's preaching and he's declaring who he is, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heaven laden, for I will give you rest. They named Noah rest, and Christ said, I am rest. Say this with me. Say, Noah is a type of Christ. Noah is a type of Christ. And this is what's so amazing. Not only does Noah mean rest, Noah also means resting place. Friends, not only is Christ rest, not only will he give us peace, but friends, we can rest in him. We're called to rest in Christ. We're called to be in him, amen? Come to me and I will give you rest. More, more interesting facts on this. Friends, Noah is the first preacher of righteousness. Who preached righteousness? Jesus. Noah was the very first preacher of righteousness. In 1 Peter, or excuse me, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, this is about to be the, the fastest message you ever heard because I literally am on page two already. <laughs> We're just going after it. 2 Peter, don't, uh, I was taught, don't preach strong, uh, long, preach strong. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood, on the ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. The scripture calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. Now it's, now it's interesting because when you actually go back to Genesis, it doesn't say that in Genesis. But God brought revelation, obviously, to the New Testament believers to understand that while he was building this ark, he was preaching a message. While he was building the salvation, he was preaching the gospel. That something was coming, judgment was coming, and this is the only way to be saved. Do you not think, I mean, we've saw, we've saw some of the iterations. Do you not think that they thought he was out of his mind? Do you not think that they thought, what is this man doing? What is this big, ginormous, gargantuan, behemoth thing that is in front of us? They didn't even know what it was. There was no such thing as a ship back then. He was building the first ship. Not just a little boat. Not just a little canoe, right? Not just a little log you can float on. I mean, that thing is ginormous. I've never been to the Ark Encounter, 
but I heard that thing is ginormous. Okay? I want to go there. That'd be awesome. But it's cool because it actually gives us a physical feel of how massive this thing was and that God called a man to build it. Wow. That's incredible, isn't it? So friends, not only is Christ, not only is Noah like Christ in that he is a preacher of righteousness. This is awesome. I love this. This is amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Noah is given an everlasting covenant. He's given an everlasting, he's given a covenant that lasts forever. This is why Noah is a type of Christ. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 8 through 17, don't believe me, let's read it. It's going to be up on the screens. Verse 8, it says, Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Now I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Next verse. It says, never again. Say never again. Will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood? Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. So if there's ever any doom or gloom person that's telling you that our world is going to be flooded again, they're lying and they're wrong because God said, God said, right, if you want to, if you want to know how the earth is going to be destroyed, it's by fire in the end next, not by water. God did water, next he does fire. <laughs> Verse 12, yay! <laughs> Hooray! Woo! <laughs> Verse 12, and, <laughs> and God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the cloud, and it will be the sign of of the covenant between me and the earth. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Have you ever looked at a rainbow and said, how beautiful is that? You ever see that in the sky? I mean, every time I see a full rainbow, I try to pull out my camera. I mean, I'm not like one of those guys that, picture, that take pictures of everything, but when I see that full rainbow, I'm like, man, that's amazing. And if you're here for our, um, when we did our special business meeting and there's a picture of, it's kind of like the side of the building and then there's like the trailer and there's like a little rainbow touching them, right? It was a double rainbow. Right, I was, that was my picture. I was like, oh, that's amazing, click. <laughs> Verse 13, it says, I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whatever I bring, whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all. All life. Here we go. Verse 16. This is what he says. Here's where he says it. He says, whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. God created an everlasting covenant with Noah. Between God and all the living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I've established. You notice how, he, how God kept reiterating the same thing? Have you ever had to tell your child the same thing over and over and over again? It's okay, God has us do that sometimes too, okay? And he just could just reiterate, the rainbow is my covenant, the rainbow is my covenant, the rainbow is my everlasting covenant. When you see that thing, just remember, I'm never gonna destroy the earth again with the flood water. So next time you see that in 
the sky. Don't just think, oh, that's cool. Or think, wow, that's beautiful. Just remember what God said when you see that thing in the sky. That's what he said. So not only was God the preacher of righteousness, not only was, or excuse me, not only was Noah the preacher of righteousness, not only was Noah given an everlasting covenant, these are some other things that we need to consider about Noah. Next slide here. Things to consider. The scripture called Noah righteous. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. How many of us know Genesis chapter 6 is the chapter of judgment? It's the chapter when, when, when the earth is, you know, people on the earth are swept away. But yet in the middle of that, God looked and saw Noah, and it said Noah was righteous. And that verse actually says that actually there's, it's kind of cool because if you go back a few verses, if you go back a little bit when it's talking about Enoch, it says Enoch walked with God. Do you know that the scripture also says that Noah walked with God? Isn't that amazing? Called him righteous, meaning called, called, said, said he was blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. And this is the thing. This is what's so crazy. Evil was so bad. It was so bad. Okay, we don't even know what kind of, we, we look at, you know, maybe sex trafficking and we look at, you know, like maybe the Taliban and we look at uh, bombers and people who kill people. You know, we're like, oh, that's evil. That's bad. And there is, there's a lot of that stuff that's going on in our world. But the, but the Bible says during that time, think of this. It says, every inclination of man's heart was on evil all the time. We haven't, we've, we, we haven't even seen anything like that. We don't even know what that looks like. We look at that and we're like, man, isn't that harsh, God? Isn't that harsh that you would do that? But we don't understand how desperately wicked our world was at that time. I mean, if, if God will wipe out complete people groups like, like the, um, or, or like the, you know, the Amicalites and, and the Hittites and all these people, and these people sacrificed their kids to the foreign gods, what did this look like? We don't know. All I know is God gave us just a glimpse by saying every thought of, of man's, every thought was always evil all the time. That's terrible. It's crazy. And out of all that, there was one man who walked with God and was righteous. That's wild. Could you imagine, could you imagine living in a world like that? Right? I mean, even like this, even right now, I mean, I would say, you know, we have people in this room that have good hearts, good intention, that, that are doing good works, right? And it's a small handful. Okay, now multiply that times million, because there's millions of them still in the world. Minus all of them people, <laughs> and all the people that are mid, and the most <laughs> and the people. And the people that are the most evil people, imagine them being the ones running this earth. Do I really need to explain what mid is? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do, okay. We'll, 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 we're going to teach all the, all the older people through a younger person. Please, somebody explain to us all what, what is mid. <laughs> Jeremy said it's like being a punk. That's what he said. What is mid? What's mid, Harley Quinn? No, no, the definition. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like average, boring, basic. It's like eh. 
You know, it's, it's not good, it's just eh. They call it mid, right? It'd be like if you got a nice cup of milk and it sat on, it sat on the, the countertop for two hours and then you went to take a sip of that and it was, it was lukewarm, that's mid. It's like, ugh, okay? <laughs> so I said, we're going to even eliminate the mids, <laughs> okay? So God called Noah righteous, and check this out. This is, this is where it gets pretty important. And also, th- something to consider. By faith, Noah worked out his salvation. Now, we know that salvation is not based on works. Say, salvation, salvation. is not based on works. It's not. That means you cannot earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't do stuff to acquire salvation. That is the absolute main difference between true Christianity and every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world has to do with the person trying their absolute best to be good enough for their entity. We have the only religion that actually is a relationship where God did it all for you to connect with him. With all that set aside... When you receive that, there's work to be done, right? You can't just lay back, kick back, and be like, I'm saved. I'm good to go. I'm going to read my books and do my thing. No, friends, we're, we're called to preach the gospel, right? We're called to build the kingdom. We're called to build one another up, right? There's, so there's work to be done. And we don't do that work to earn salvation. We do that out of appreciation for what he's done. But so, so God called Noah to salvation and, to, and put him to work. And we don't know exactly how many years it took him to build the boat. Some people say it was 120. Some people say it was 100. Some people say it was between 50 and 75. We don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. All we know is that he was working on that ship for a long time. And so so he had to work out his salvation. He had to put to practice what God called him to do. And then it wasn't over after that. He gets in the ship, gets his family in the ship. Miraculously, every single creature, two by two, come into the ship. And they are stuck in this boat together for a year. All of you extroverts would be going ballistic. You're stuck in a boat and you, and you can't get out, right? If you had any kind of, if you, if you, if you had any kind of claustrophobic tendencies, Lord have mercy on you. What happened during that year? Noah and his family took care of the animals. They didn't feed themselves, right? That thing probably stunk to high heavens, I guarantee you. They had this little tiny window. They were scooping that poop out that window every day. Come on, somebody. You know they were the first zookeepers. By faith, he had to work out his stuff. So through that year, God called him to salvation, put him to work. He built this thing. And then that whole year, while he was being saved, he was doing God's work. Take care of my animals. And then we see something else to consider is Noah builds the first recorded altar in Scripture. When it's all said and done, the water resides. He's so thankful, so appreciative. He builds an altar to the Lord. And he says, man, thank you, Lord. And he sacrifices. And you know what the scripture says? It said, that aroma, it's, it's the only time I really see that in scripture. And if, I, if I'm wrong, correct me after service. Where it says that, no, 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 there's another time. It's when Solomon, that aroma was good to God's nostrils. And he was like, mm, that's awesome. 
and then he had a covenant. Then he then he created that everlasting covenant. Isn't that beautiful? You guys still with me? Yeah. All right. God caused God caused Noah righteous. He had to work out his salvation, in, and Noah builds the first altar. So, so two other things to consider here. Things to think about. Um, number one, God called Noah to do something that had never been done before. Many of us, including myself, if there's something that I feel like I want to do, I go on YouTube. Somebody else did it. I can figure it out. Right? How do you do this? Right? We just had a, um, before, we had a before we had to buy a new dishwasher, before we had to buy one, okay, life, life lesson, side note, rinse your dishes before you put them in the dishwasher. Good. Because if you don't, there's this little there's this little plastic piece inside your dishwasher that grinds up the food, and what happens is because it's plastic, it eventually wears out. Well, that's what happened with ours. Our pump wore out. Bought a new pump. Spent about ninety five dollars. I'm like, I'm gonna install it myself. Watch a YouTube video. Boom. Put it in. Worked for like two days, and then the whole thing died. Just just dead. I was like, oh gosh. But what did I do? Somebody else did that before. I went on YouTube and watched somebody, and I knew how to do it. Okay, but God called, there was no YouTube video on how to build an ark. Thank you that God gave him the, the directions and exactly how to do it. But God told him to do something that had never been done before. Friends, sometimes we are afraid if we feel like God is calling us to do something we've never seen before. Because sometimes he does that. He does, right? I've never seen, I've never seen a, a, a rural church birthed out of an urban church. I've never seen that. But we did it. God may be calling you to do something you have never done before. Maybe you're like, well, you know, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too this. I'm too that. I've had, I've had all the excuses too. I've said them all. And then I have to determine, am I going to believe my excuses or am I going to believe what the Lord's calling me to do? So if I can do it, you can do it. Do you know that I used to throw up before speaking in front of people? You guys know that? Yeah. Yeah. I was so absolutely deathly afraid to speak in front of people I used to throw up. I'd, I'd be shaking. I'd have my mind. I'd be shaking, right? You look at me now, you're like, really? It's a 20-year work. God was calling me to do something I didn't, I didn't, didn't like doing. I didn't even like ordering. I didn't even like talking to the waitress, <laughs> ordering food. <laughs> I mean, seriously. And then here we are. So, so you can say, I'm to this, I'm to that. Well, same. I, I had all the excuses too. Here we are. Here we go. So, one, God told Noah to do something he never did before. And then, two, friends, Noah worked really hard at what God had asked him to do. There's two words that scare me in the scripture. He says, You wicked and lazy servant. Wickedness has to do with our connection and relationship with God, laziness has to do with what we're doing with what God's called us to do. Okay. <laughs> I know it wasn't even in the notes. Um, so the scripture, uh, when, he's, when, he, when you have the, the, different, the parable of the, of the talents, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Say good and faithful. Good and faithful, right? When you, when you commit your life to Christ, you're a son, you're a servant, you're all these things, right? So we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful. But then he looked to the one who buried his talent and he said, you wicked and lazy servant. Wicked and lazy. Those are the two words that scare me in scripture, Okay. Wickedness has to do with, with our relationship with God. It has to do with our right standing with God. Laziness has to do with what we're doing with what God has given us. 
And so, so wickedness is that, laziness is what we're doing. So those, are the, those words scare me. Those are the words I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear wicked and lazy. I want to hear good and faithful. And so Noah, so Noah is an example to remind us Noah worked really hard at what God asked him to do. You guys with me? Okay, a few more here, and then we're going to end here. Uh, so what does Jesus have to say about Noah? I got like two more scriptures, and we're going to end here. What does Jesus have to say about Noah? Well, Jesus has something to say. It's actually kind of scary when he's talking about Noah, and it's found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 through 44. And in verse 36, is it up there? Cool, let's read it. It says, but about the day or hour, no one knows. He's talking about when, because they said, you know, when is the return of the Lord going to happen? When is God going to come back? When are all these things going to happen? He says, but no one knows. Check this out, friends. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus is speaking this. This is very interesting to me. Anything like this is very interesting. Jesus is saying, right, and he's God. He says, I don't even know. (laughs) What? How's that happen? I don't know. He said it. It's just weird. I don't get it. There's only one person that knows when all of this is going to happen, and it's the Father. It's the, it's, it's, so any person that tells you, we have this calculated, we know when God's coming back. No, you don't, because the angels don't even know. How, is he, how do you know? Best kept secret. <laughs> it's the best kept secret, <laughs> right? And God's a pretty good secret keeper. It says, for, for in the days before the flood... Talking about Noah, right? People were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be when the coming of the Son of Man. Next one here, verse 40. It says, two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the hand mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Two men will be eating wings at Jed's. One will be taken, one will get left. <laughs> two, two women will be taking selfies. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Watch and pray, amen? Verse 43. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming... He would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We could be looking at saying, well, it hasn't been 2,000 years. Maybe, you know, it's going to be another 1,000 years. I don't know. It could be tomorrow. It could be now. It could be another 2,000 years. We don't know. All I know is everything that I see unfolding now in our day, the day is becoming closer and closer and closer. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home. I don't want to be the one. We've seen all the left behind movies and right. I don't want. To, I don't want my. I don't want to be left left and next to a, cl- a pile of Joy's clothes because <laughs> then I'll have to wash them. So. <laughs> Um, last verse and then we're going to end here Uh, so God just talked about Noah and and in talking about Noah um, he talked about Christ returns right Noah and the flood Christ returns Um, and then Peter talks about Noah and this is what he says 
um, in the First Peter chapter three, verse twenty through twenty-one. It says, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism. Wow. Wow. That now saves you also. That little, that little phrase right there screws up a lot of people's theology. The words in front of it says it symbolizes. <laughs> they miss it. They miss that word. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, the, so the, another scripture that talks about baptism or talks about the flood and the ark and Noah is Peter, and he's saying actually water represents baptism. And what was baptism, friends? There was death in the water. There was death in the water. So when you say yes to Christ, right? And then Peter preaches. He says, repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of the Lord, Lord Jesus. So it's, it's you turning our lives towards him and then we making this public decision to say, I want to be baptized. And baptism is symbolic in that you are going under the water. You're putting to death your old nature, your old self, your old man. Death under the water. And you're being resurrected in new life. And just like Christ, Christ was dead in the grave and he rose again. That's what it is. You're rising in new life. It's all symbolic. It's the same thing, right? My wife and, and I, our covenant relationship is actually what we created before each other. This ring just is a symbol of that. This, this, this isn't our marriage. This is our marriage. And in the same context, when we're saved with the Lord, this is just a symbol of saying I'm dying to myself and I'm becoming a new life in Christ. Putting our old nature to death. Would you bow your heads with me today? We're going to pray. Father, we want to just say thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for us. God, we see in Scripture how there was a time when wickedness was so disastrous upon this earth. And you looked down and you said, I wish I didn't create man. That's what you said. Because man took all the freedom that I gave and decided to use it for the most selfish, wicked, evil ways possible. And Christ, you weren't, uh, God, you were the remedy you weren't even a second guess or second thought. It says from the foundation of the world, God already knew that we were going to be wicked and that we were going to just treat people in, in the most horrific ways and would have to send Christ so that we could be bridged again into true life and fellowship with you, God. So, Lord, we thank you for that. And, Lord, as we're, as we're continuing on this ARC series, we pray, huh, I know they call uh, down in Kentucky, they call it the Ark Encounter. I pray that we would have a Ark Encounter, God. Uh, that we would have, a, that we would experience agape love. That we would experience the rhema word. That we would experience that koinonia fellowship. 
Let it be found in this place, Lord. Look down upon Vision Church and say, okay, I want to put my favor on them. I want to put my grace, I want my grace to rest upon them. I want my love and my affection to rest upon them because I see that their heart is towards me. So, Lord, we incline our hearts towards you again today. And we confess our sins. When you taught us how to pray, you said to pray, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We bless your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's my prayer over myself. That's my prayer over everyone in this room. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, give us this day our daily bread, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for your daily provisions. Thank you for all the provisions that we need emotionally. Thank you for all the provisions that we need physically. Thank you for all the provisions we need mentally. Thank you. That's daily bread. That's spiritual nourishment, that, that intellectual nourishment, that emotional nourishment, that spiritual nourishment, that daily bread with you, Lord. And forgive us our sins. Wash them clean. Your word says in the book of Psalms that as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. God, would you wash us? You don't just remove them. You wash us. Forgive us of our sins, God, as we forgive those who sin against us. If we have ill feelings, ill will, hurt, pain, unforgiveness towards somebody, I pray that you would remind us of that pain. You would remind us of that resentment. You would remind us of that unforgiveness. And because you're doing that, we will take steps towards making that right, God. Today. doesn't have to happen right now, but Lord, let, let, let us see that thing and let us walk towards that forgiveness. That may be a process. That could be maybe them just saying, I forgive them right now, and boom, it left. It leaves. Or maybe it's a process of, of them releasing what that person did or said. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You've forgiven us. God, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one, Lord. Deliver us. Deliver us from bondage. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Everlasting covenant you've made with us. Jesus. And may the Lord bless you and keep you, friends. May the Lord's face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you, and may he give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, 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 amen.